Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan. With me, as always, is a man who would like to ask you just one more thing. I am the Adam Glass, and uh, happy Colombo Day. Yeah. You're probably saying, how could it be Colombo Day? I thought Colombo Day was uh, in October, and the truth is, every day is Colombo Day. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's, it's one of those kind of things. Colombo Day lives in our hearts. In our hearts, I I really do love the bit with <laughs> with the, with the street punks when Peter Falk's yeah, yeah, walking yeah, across yeah, the yeah, plaza. Yeah. He's like, "Wait, was that Columbo?" It's like, it, "No, not, he not with that jacket. He not with that jacket <laughs> walking around in this mess." Before we get into our movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lostincriteria. Uh, over there for a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to a bonus episode. We do a non-criterion film over there, and users get to vote on what that movie is going to be. So our most recent one as of this recording, really, really fantastic. We oh, watched yeah. Salt of the Earth from 1954. But uh, users picked that out of a list of movies the orga- about organizing, uh, and I actually I really anticipated that people would 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 vote for. Uh, Sorry to bother you, but they ended up going for Salt of the Earth, and I'm so happy that they did. Because yeah, I think they I made, had I never mean, seen that, that movie they write, before. Made a right or wrong choice, but I'm really pleased because I I've watched most of Sorry to Bother You. And there's a decent chance I'll just do that on my own. I would have never watched Salt of the Earth on my right, own. Right, 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 right. This would have uh, never I, happened. Since watching it, I have become an evangelist for uh, for Salt of the Earth. I have I have gotten at least three people to watch it, I believe. And, uh, yeah, it's just a fantastic well, It's movie. got a lot going for it, including the fact that you yeah. can watch it in 90 minutes, which is always right, 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 which right, is right. always, a, always, always a good to have a 90-minute movie. Uh, but, yeah, we have a lot of fun over there. Watch a really eclectic mix of movies. Uh, though the Criterion Collection itself is pretty eclectic, of course. But we watch stuff the Criterion Collection normally ignores. Uh, <laughs> not always, though. We did watch we did watch Failsafe, which later became part of the Criterion Collection. And we've watched some movies over there that probably should be part of the Criterion Collection, but maybe just uh, don't need to be part of the Criterion Collection. Yeah. Stuff like uh, Dog Day Afternoon or The Americanization of Emily or Network, which I always think is in the Criterion Collection and then suddenly remembers it's, it's not, not. And then I get to put it on a list. Uh, yeah. We also watch uh, other uh, other more, let's say, esoteric stuff like Ernest Goes to Camp or Ernest Scared Stupid or Critters 2 or Aliens. Uh, real fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sometimes supporters suggest lists or suggest movies for the lists, and if they do and we end up going with it, I try to get them, if the scheduling works out, on the podcast. And it's always fun to talk with somebody about a movie they really love, so we have fun with that over there as well. As I said, that is $1 a month. Get you access, get you voting rights, get you our ear if you want to suggest a movie, and get you the you entire back you catalog. Want. Yeah, yeah, everything, everything. $1 a month. We're very cheap. Uh but it does also get you the entire back catalog of those bonus episodes. There's over 50 over there. For a little extra $5 a month, people who want to 
want to help us out a little bit more, we'd like to thank those people on air. And thank you so much to our current $5 supporters, Eric Coronado, Stephen Goldmeyer, and Chris Otto. A little above that, Pat and I do something that I think is pretty dang special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard and once a month write a little personalized note and send that out to our supporters of $10 and above. We also like to thank those on air. So thank you to Jason Westhaver, to Nina Bojnak, to Adam Speakerman, Patrick Yako, and Michael McGrath. Yes, thank you. If you want to see those postcards, you can head over to redbubble.com and search for Lost in Criterion. Most of them are up there. There's a couple that uh, didn't quite meet Redbubble's standards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're high-quality control. <laughs> yes, yes, but uh, unfortunate. But you can also purchase old postcards there uh, as postcards, as fold-out cards, if you want to write a longer note and pay a little extra in postage. Or as stickers, some of them, as pins, if the artwork You could buy out. a bunch of stickers. You could paste them all over your neighborhood, cover oh, up yeah, Nazi yeah, propaganda yeah. with it. Mm-hmm. You can, yeah, you could uh, You could definitely put our web address all over your neighborhood <laughs> if, uh, if you so, so desire. Uh, as long as you don't live in Columbus, because I don't want that tracked back to me. Not like right, anyone's right. getting arrested for putting up stickers. Uh, well, but I mostly, I mean, yeah, I mostly I mean, just tear down stickers in my neighborhood, not... Not fun movie stickers, certainly, but the aforementioned Nazi propaganda is uh, is quite quite a lot in my neighborhood. Um, actually, I've had a few. I've had probably about a month off from that. I don't know what happened. Oh, uh, the, they but, stopped uh, doing it. They have. There was a a very mild amount that went up the week after Thanksgiving, but other than that, it has not happened since then. Huh? Uh, That's so, strange. Yeah. It is strange. Uh, I'm grateful, but it is strange. Again, as I said, that is patreon.com slash lost in criterion if you want to support us. Thank you so much to those who do, and thank you so much for listening. I'm out of glass with NPR. That's what I do. <laughs> Pat, this week we are talking about Wings of Desire. It's our first Wim Wenders film. We will uh, we will get one more Win Wenders film pretty quickly. We'll watch Paris, Texas at spine number uh, five hundred one, I believe, and okay. this is four ninety, so it's only oh, wow. it's ten like, weeks away. Well, yeah. it's actually more than ten weeks away because we do have the Golden Age of Television box set, which is going to be a, a multi week for us. But uh, but yeah, we do have we, we do have Paris, Texas coming up. Um, that's not our only Wenders film. We'll see more from Wenders much much further down. I think we have five of his films. Maybe uh, maybe even more than that currently in the collection. Um, but this is our first one, Wings of Desire. Yeah. Or in German. Do you want to do it? Oh, I guess I could if you want me to. <laughs> I don't know. I thought you were trying to interrupt me to say it. No, earlier, I was going to so. interrupt you because I was not necessarily trying to interrupt you. Uh, I just, I, that's something I want to talk about later. But yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Der Himmel über Berlin. Uh, literally translated the heavens over Berlin or the skies over Berlin. Yeah. Um, but Wings of the Desire is which, the English. Which is what I wanted the first bone, like more than any, like the only, <laughs> my real bone to pick is, we, so we have two options for the name of this of this movie. We've got yeah. the German, which sounds like a World War II uh, um, right, right. Like documentary. And you've got the English, which sounds like a tawdry romance novel. Yeah, yeah. Wings of Desire sounds sounds very much like a a, a soap opera. Or yeah. A, 
or a, a very sentimental I, romance movie. Yeah, I was kind of imagining maybe sort of a Fabio-like character on a book cover with it. I could see. I don't know. Um, but yeah, they, they they neither of them is what I would call a great name <laughs> right, for what, right. what the movie actually is. It seems like both of them are an attempt to trick the audience into watching the movie <laughs> in the hopes I that really, they'll forgive you once they've actually watched it. Honestly, Wings of Desire sounds like a Douglas Sirk movie to me. Like oh, all yeah, that for sure. Could totally be. And Wings yeah, of yeah. Desire yeah, really yeah, yeah. feel like they were made back to back. Yeah, actually, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know how much choice Wenders had in the uh, the English translation of the title or what it was marketed under, if he had any involvement with that whatsoever. Right. Uh, but to hear him talk about the movie, he was really, really worried that this movie was just too obtuse. To yeah, find yeah, it's really audience. fascinating. Like the the production uh, th- that production documentary gives you. It is rare, in my opinion, based on what I've. That we get a production document, like not even a production documentary. I don't know what you would call it. Like, ref- like it's it's a retrospective. It, I mean, it's made right, post right, the, right. much later. And it, it's made at least a decade later too. Yeah, um, um, but like but it yeah. is. I think it was made in nineteen. I think it said nineteen ninety nine or something. I feel like it said somewhere or something like that. I don't remember, but um, yeah. Either way, it is. It is rare that they give you this much insight. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like a lot of times when I watch these things, I feel like I'm just wasting my time. Right, Whereas this right, one gave right. me a lot. Of, you learned a lot from that, which which actually made the movie better. Like it, I guess the second part of that is you don't often learn very much in those, and then when you do, they very rarely do anything to really de- recontextualize yeah. how the the movie you watched. Whereas this I one think, does quite a bit, I think. I think there have been some that have been really, really, really yes, helpful. There, yeah, uh, there have been the the Ophels ones. I think were were fantastic. Yeah, particularly talking about the way certain shots were done. Um. But yeah, I, I generally agree. It would have to be about 1999. That would make sense because bewilderingly to me, and I know Criterion didn't actually make this bonus feature, but whoever did made these decisions. Uh, this is a bonus feature about Wings of Desire. And they keep coming back to a young guy who had nothing to do with Wings of Desire, but is the director of the American remake, City of Angels, which, which came out in 1998. Which is a thing, mind you, they do not explain <laughs> They put in. I did they, not know that. Right. Well, well, they introduce him with a little. You I know, missed. I with, missed his little Chiron at, at the bottom. bottom. Yeah. yeah. But like, and, I did not know that City yeah. of Angels was a remake of this. Right. 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 It's. Uh, I'll call it a fairly loose remake. I don't know if you have ever seen Cities of Angels. No, it's I have been not. A very long time seen since the, I have. Well, I've seen. I've seen the cover of it. I remember <laughs> seeing its box art quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, City of Angels is uh, is a romantic drama. Uh, starring Meg Ryan and Nick Cage. Um, not to be confused with Nick Cave, who is in this movie, uh, but no one would ever confuse Nick Cage no, with that... Nick Cave. Uh, that's not a thing that would happen. Maybe it could happen. <laughs> there are, I suppose, my grandma might. Uh, but anyway, uh, City of Angels takes place in Los Angeles, first off. Of course. The, as, the, as the name suggests. Uh I feel Nick like that's already Cage, too on the nose. Nick Cage is an is an angel like our our main characters here, uh, in kind of similar ways, uh, but that's basically where the similarities. End. Okay. So, uh, what happens in City of Angels is that Meg Ryan is a surgeon who okay. is in a relationship, 
and Nick Cage's angel uh, starts to really, uh, really fall for her, really respect her work of saving people because, you know, he's in the hospital trying to comfort people who are about to die. Uh-huh. And he falls for her, and somehow she starts to be able to see him. Okay. And then she, and then he chooses to become human to be in a relationship with her. And they go to Lake Tahoe together. And uh, or or she's she's left for Lake Tahoe, and he goes to Lake Tahoe after he becomes human and meets her, and she realizes the sacrifice he's made, and they're immediately in love, and they they make love. And then in the morning, she goes into town on an errand. Uh huh. And she is so overjoyed. She's bicycling into town. And on her way back, she is so overjoyed by her, her newfound love with an angel uh, that she uh, closes her eyes and throws her hands up and balances on the bike and then gets hit by a lumber truck. Damn. Okay. And dies. And the uh, the final sequences of City of Angels is Nicolas Cage talking to uh, to the other angel, uh, who is uh, on, played by Andre Brower, um, and he uh, basically just asks if if he's being punished for choosing to become human, and and Cassiel. I, I think responds with basically ah sometimes stuff like this happens <laughs> obviously more dramatically than that right but, right, right but yeah so it is uh it it doesn't have a lot of similarities okay with, with our movie here and I'd forgive you if you watched both of them for not realizing well I've never that they seen were City of Angels anyway but yeah like yeah. I didn't Ex- except for the fact that the other angel in both uh is called Cassiel uh. So I mean, you basically you have nothing, nothing, in nothing common. to do with each other. Yeah, like so, you yeah. would it would be safe to assume based on the description that probably um, City of Angels is is a little bit less, maybe a little less high minded in terms of sort of like uh, sort of content. It sounds like well, it it wanted to it wanted to be a '90s love story, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's Which got this the, movie just isn't that. If I remember, if I remember right, the uh, the trailer for it had that goo 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 I can't say goo goo dolls today for some reason. The trailer for it had that goo goo dolls song, uh, Don't Want the World to See Me. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I don't think that they don't understand. Yeah. That, uh, oh, beautiful. So, yeah. It's, uh, it's, yeah. It's got, uh, it's got some interesting choices. Um, but all of that, all of that to say, that's why I don't understand why the director of that, who was well, also the I director of I wonder if this Casper, was originally made as a is. feature for that more than it was made for, you know what I mean? Like, I wonder if this was a this was originally intended as a thing to like connect the two, as far maybe, like maybe some purpose, because you wouldn't. Apparently, it sounds like you wouldn't know that they're supposed to be connected if you weren't explicitly yeah. told they're supposed to be connected, right? Um, right. I will say that that the. the the English title has the problem of of implying that it is pretty close to something like City of Angels, right? <laughs> right the, the title right. seems to imply that this is primarily a romance story, which it just yeah. isn't. That's just not I, what this movie is. It's what I was expecting when I loaded it up on the on the TV. On like, I was like, oh, I'm going to go watch this. I'm like, this is going to be 
primarily a romance story about an angel. I was expecting there's, something in the line of like ghost or something, but like there's there is one other sort of movie I think The Wings of Desire could be the title for. Yeah. And it's a nineteen forty three Pal and Pressburger love story about a uh uh an, a, an airplane uh, pilot RAF yeah, yeah, RAF yeah. pilot. I in my mind it was his... one of those two things, yes. Yeah. It was yeah. <laughs> the, it, it was like I actually kind of assumed it was good. What was the name of that one about like uh the lion was it like the lion has <laughs> The line has wings. Yeah, yes, I was expecting is, maybe was the well. That was more of a documentary. I know, yeah. I know, but like the but lion yes. has wings. If you start like when you've watched as many of these <laughs> kinds of movies as we have, right. you start to right. like you get kind of like kind of almost conspiracy theory mental brain <laughs> right, where you're like start, right, like right, connecting right. lines. There's like red line string going everywhere, and you're like, well, <laughs> you know. The lion has wings, wings of desire, by via triangulation. I'm pretty sure this is about an RAF pilot who falls in love with like a German nurse right. or something. Right, um, right, right, right. Uh, maybe a French nurse. It uh, could be. I mean, it depends not, on how not when in, it was made. Right, right, right. Not in '44. Not in pa- Pal and Prasperger's full World War II m- mode. Right, which it, is would what a, I it would be a French but, nurse. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, this is uh, this is a fantastic movie. I don't yes. want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Start, We're joking starting around, off, but yes, it right, is hundred right. Starting off talking so much about the bad remake, I don't want I don't want to get away from uh, the fact that that I really do love this movie. Uh, was was happily surprised when Peter Falk showed up. Yes, uh, always, yeah, always really annoyed. shocked. I, yeah. I it literally like knocked me out of my seat a little bit. I was like, "What's happening?" Like up until then, I was pretty in line. I was like, "Okay, European art house film. Everything seems to be tracking okay." Yeah. And then you're like, "What the fuck is Peter Falk doing here? <laughs> what was it, what's happening now?" Well, the uh, the background on on Peter Falk joining uh, is kind of interesting. They the uh, as the documentary that you watched makes pretty clear, they didn't really have a script. They sort of had no. an idea of what they wanted to do, and they were kind of flying by the seat of their pants as far as production went. And they decided that uh, they wanted to have a third angel, a a, oh, a previously yeah. fallen angel. Right. And they thought it would be really clever if that previously fallen angel was a real-life celebrity. Right. Playing himself, uh, basically. Playing themselves. And then they decided it should be an American celebrity, and then somehow Peter Falk got in, in, okay, so, well, into I mean, the I feel list, like in the I'm docu- not real sure. But also, I want to I loop back to their impetus yeah. for it, because, because they don't have a script. At some point, it seems like, as they're making it, the, you know, like, Wim Wenders seems to realize at some point that he's accidentally making a Berkman film. <laughs> right, right, And, right, like, right. realizes that, like, that's not what he wants to make. That it's right. too serious. That the movie, because imagine yes. if you if you extract Peter Falk from this movie, you have <laughs> right. a religious right. era Bergman it's, film straight yeah. up, and and pretty pretty dour though not not as much of a downer ending as the remake certainly right right, but, but like yeah and so like he he realizes that like in order to not make that movie he needs to inject like a little bit more like kind of like joie de vivre into the movie right, into the movie right. right it needs to have something that like not just like for comedy because you know right. like there's not always that thing in like modern american hollywood productions where it's like well we need to like jazz it up with somebody it's gotta be we need to add some comedy we need a comedic element fuck's not exactly comedic he's just light-hearted he right, he, right, com- right. he he adds a certain levity to the movie that like i said it's not comedic but but makes it feel less 
less stressful. Yeah. Like, like, like it's more alive. So that, that featurette, it, as we said, is from like 1999. Uh, and because of that and because of time and because of the way people like Peter Falk tell stories, his recollection of exactly how he came on board is a little different than what yes, yeah, Wenders they, writes they do, yeah. in 1987. Um, Wenders in 87 says that... Uh, they sent Falk. They, he called Falk. He talked to him twice on the telephone, and and on one conversation, uh, he explained the whole thing, the ex angel thing, which Falk says in the documentary he really connected with it because he's like, well, I've heard of an ex wife, I've heard of an ex uh, right ex gangster or whatever, but I never heard of an ex ex angel. So, um, and then Wenders says says that his response was, "Well, send me a script." And uh, Wenders says, well, I can't. There is no script. And Falk, uh, and maybe one of the reasons Wenders considered him to begin with, Falk then says, well, I'm used to used to that. We used to do that with, with Cassavetes all the time. You know, we never shoot with a script right. with Cassavetes. Uh, <clears throat> and I, I liked doing that. So he signs on. He flies to, flies to Berlin, uh, spends a week, uh, decides he loves the production so much that he spends another week in Berlin hoping that they'll think of more things for him to do. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and unfortunately they, they didn't really, it doesn't seem like, um, cause they were, you know, they had a lot of other ideas. Right. Um, and then Falk goes home and ends up going to Ecuador and then is in Ecuador. And <laughs> yeah, another, that's the best part. Another of the story, part. Yeah. Another part of the flying up by the seat of their pants is that and, and another part of the continuing to realize that the movie is too dour? Uh, they they get to the editing and realize that it's just largely a silent film because no one's internal thoughts were something which is that weird. They I'm thought so would and be, that's why okay, this is right. where I do get a little bit confused about the production notes. Okay, yeah. that like based on like what they all say in these interviews. So it seems like Wim Wenders was reading out people's internal thoughts to the actress so they would know but it was never right. intended to be voiced on the sound like in the actual right. live film which is like to my mind i'm like when i was when i heard that i was like this is very confusing thing to do right right they were meant to sell it from their from their uh their their the reaction the acting stuff, right yeah. they're, they're acting um which again which very bergman like i mean we're getting yeah. into and and it makes sense, but it would make it far, far more obtuse. Right, it would make it more right. obtuse. You, you, yeah, because everybody yeah. you would you would spend the entire movie trying to, to sort of interpret right. Just what people parse are thinking out what's about. going on. Right, and also right. yes, it would be a movie with almost no sound in it. Yeah, <laughs> it be, so they just right. Yeah, I mean the first if they use the same cut just without the internal monologues. The first forty-five minutes would have almost nothing, right? Yeah, just the, just the conversation noise, between yeah. the conversation between the angels in the car is like, I think fifteen minutes in or so. At least, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, like, yeah. Um, so, so they decide to do the inter- internal monologues. So they call, uh, they call Falk back, and like I said, he's in Ecuador in the middle of nowhere. So he flies to L.A. and does. Uh, does it in a voiceover studio and they just let Peter Falk talk yes for, for until the tape runs out and they've got you know an hour you know a couple hours of material uh to just sort through 
And uh, and Wenders points out delightfully in the documentary that Falk keeps talking about Everybody's his grandmother. grandmother. Now here's yeah. uh, here's a thing. I I'm I find it really charming that women just think that's a thing people don't notice. <laughs> right, like, right, right. Literally, as soon as I found out that that Falk was an angel, my brain went, "Wait a minute, he has a grandmother." Yes, like literally it's, instantaneously. It's one of the first thing he says. Yeah, it is like right? the first. Yeah, it, it talks yeah. about his grandmother telling him to go here and all this stuff. And it's like, I was like, right, you know, yeah. When when is your? Yeah. You made a great movie, but you're you're insane if right. you think I didn't immediately think of that. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it's just it is fun. It definitely, uh, Falk being there definitely makes things less dour. Um, his character is interesting. There is a moment where his character feels almost like they were hinting at him being some sort of Satan to me. Oh uh, yeah, I think it's probably because you when, just associated fallen angels with. Well, no, 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 no. Like, I don't. I don't mean that. I'm. I'm perfectly on board with their 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 definition of of fallen angel and the the uh, the I guess uh, the the metaphysics of this movie are are great and I love them. Uh, but when he meets Cassio uh-huh. outside of the coffee place the second time, and Cassio's had a bad couple of days. Yes. Uh, he presents the exact, well, not the exact, but very close to the exact same conversation that he had had with Damiel before. Mm-hmm. In a way, in a way where it felt like this was a thing he had rehearsed. Oh, I like, see what you mean. Like yeah, his character's, I, yeah. like his character's premise was to drag other other angels down. For whatever, whatever reason. Yeah, I right? mean, I can see that. I I get where that comes from. It may. I yeah. mean, I I I can definitely see where you're going with that. I my the way I sort of processed all that was sort of as a um like, it's kind of like, I do think to a certain extent he does sort of do that as a like that is part of his character design. Right. Right. Is that that sort of um doing that sort of thing but i think it's more out of the fact that like he legitimately believes that like the angels are missing out on something that right, like because right, right. like the way he talks to what i think what defines the difference between those two sort of categories of of behavior is the way that falk has already talked to damiel post becoming human right and right, been a right, positive right. influence on him yeah. What, yes. You know what I mean? We get that before he talks to Cassiel, which helps true. us to understand that like he legitimately believes that this is a worthwhile activity for angels to engage in, right. rather than a like ah I tricked you into doing this thing right right that will right. hurt 100%. my that my, is, my enemy that is god. <laughs> that is very like that. true. That is very true. Um, right, right. Uh, interestingly, there is uh there is one bonus feature on here that is a full half hour of deleted scenes. I did not watch any of the deleted scenes ones. The the very interesting aspect of it is that Wenders offers commentary over those deleted scenes because there's no there's no audio and there's uh-huh. no yeah. uh they were deleted before the composer came in, so there's no actual music written for them. There is music in the in the video, but there is not. It is not the movie music. Right, right. Um, so Wenders is sort of contextualizing each one. And the last 10 minutes or so uh, is one scene shot from three angles. And it takes place directly after uh, 
Damiel and uh, oh goodness, how did I just lose the woman's name? Um, oh, I you know that's a good yeah. point. I don't remember Marian. either. Marion okay. is her name, which makes sense, I suppose. Uh, it takes place right after Damien, Damiel and Marion meet at the show, and they're sitting at the bar, and they have that uh, sort of two monologues uh, going. Yes, yeah. Uh, so at some point in production, it was decided that the punctuation of that scene, uh-huh. they would start to kiss, and Cassiel would walk in as a human. Right, okay, so but so that, that makes is, sense because they talk about the fact that, yeah, like, but that would yeah. also make sense because apparently there was going to be a whole other storyline of Cassiel right. doing this but having, like, the bad turn instead of the good turn yeah. Yeah. and becoming evil. So so he walks in and immediately starts drinking a discarded beer and spits it out because he doesn't know how to drink beer. Uh, comes in, has a little, oh, you you old so-and-so thing with uh, with Damiel. And then the reason that cake cart is there is, okay. that they, is that Wim Wenders says, for 25 years, I wanted to film a pie fight, and I oh finally got God. to. So he just filmed a pie fight, so probably they, under the assumption, like, he's probably not ever planning to really put it in a movie, right, right basically? Right, right. And it's, I just and wanted it's, to do it. It's 10 minutes of the deleted scenes because they show it from three different angles. Wow. <laughs> Of Cassio coming in, uh, picking up the cake, uh, or uh, no, Bru- uh, uh, Damiel. Uh, after after they greet each other, Damiel picks up a cake and and faces faces it into Cassiel, and then Cassiel uh, tries to get him back, but Damiel ducks. So Marion takes that in the face, and then they're all laughing and, and throwing cake at each other for like five minutes. Be- beautiful. <laughs> uh, and I suppose that would have been the original ending of the film. Uh, outright, right? Uh, not that there's a lot after it. We do get Homer walking away. I think after that is is the ending proper. Um, Homer is played by a guy named Kurt Boy. Um, Kurt Boys maybe, and he is a G- German actor uh, who uh, he was Jewish. And he was doing stage work and some movie work in the late 20s, early 30s. And right around 1932, 1933, he got out of the country, uh, right. moved to the U.S., was doing Broadway work, Was uh, had a very small part in Casablanca. He's the pickpocket who picks a man's pocket while warning him about pickpockets. It's a great little comedic turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's literally in the movie for 30 seconds. <laughs> right. Uh, but Otto Sander and Bruno Gans, who play Damio and Castiel, uh, had a long-standing relationship, and that's why they were cast together because Wenders wanted a duo who who would have good rapport and appear to be the oldest of friends, right? Mm. Um, because they are meant to be two angels who have been together for millennia, uh, if not millions of years, from what they talk about, right? Right. <laughs> uh, so. Um, so they had done a documentary on boys and another actor whose name I don't recall, who was, uh, uh, who stayed. He was not Jewish, and he stayed in Berlin, but he was had a pretty similar career up to the thirties, uh, and was still alive at the time as well. They were making this in eighty two, uh, so it was sort of a a no overt 
judgment, but a contrasting of the two men's lives. Right. Uh, and they were so much so in love with with Kurt Boys that when they needed this storyteller character, Bruno and Otto immediately suggested to Wenders right. him. Uh, but yeah, they had done that documentary just like five years prior to this, and it's it's very interesting because it's just them. It's on the DVD as well. At least yeah, I mean, I saw it. Is. I didn't end up watching yeah. it. I kind of like yeah. after the forty five minute one, I was kind right. of a little bit yeah burned it's out. Not s- it's not super informative, and obviously it's five years prior to the movie, so it doesn't have a lot to do with... Right. Yeah, nothing to do with the film. But, uh, yeah, that's a lot of the bonus features on this are retrospectives on different people's careers. Uh, so we get we get this on Kurt Boys. We get uh, basically two different looks at uh, the cinematographer uh, who is uh, Henri Alekin, who... Did a lot, uh, shot a lot. Uh, he shot uh, Cocteau's, uh Beauty and the Beast. Right, uh, was one of one of the earliest of his we would have seen. Um, but there's two, there's two features on him. Uh, one which is just an interview with him in, from like '85. Uh, yeah, and then there's this on. On boys, but also features prominently our our other two stars right. because they are the guys making this documentary, right. and it's a documentary about them going to meet these two actors and all of them relating because they're actors. So, um, but but yeah, so it it had some interesting biographical information on a guy who you know, is in the movie, I guess. Right. But but it seems like Criterion just me all of that the. The forty-five minute one, the uh, the the boys documentary, and of course the deleted scenes as well, uh, are all credited as thanks to the original production company of the movie, or the okay. uh, maybe the or maybe I think it's the production company. It might be the distribution company. In fact, I think it is the distribution company. Now that I'm looking at the names, uh, so it's. It seems like maybe Criterion inherited them from from a previous release. I kind of wondered about that. Maybe? Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it's fine. I mean, it seems like yeah. Sometimes it seems like Criterion Collection makes choices based on like, well, like we've got this stuff. We want right. to put it somewhere. We're never going to be in a position, another position where we can use these material we have. And on the off chance that like maybe. Like somebody might who's buying this will just be like, well, yeah, but I also get these cool little features right, that right, like right, I've right. never, like I've never been seen by anybody anywhere else, or like the last time they were seen were on like, yeah, some like the TV show the, thirty years ago or something like that. The the eighty five interview with uh with the cinematographer was from a documentary that wasn't actually finished. So right, that yeah, exactly. It's it. Criterion so this has is this probably its to, only public release of that. Right, yeah, exactly. I, the Criterion Collection has this habit of occasionally, like, well, like the only you know, kind of coming, almost coming up with excuses to like put out previously unreleased material. Um, not not that they need it, but you know what I mean. Like it's it's a t- it's loose, but they're just like, well, right, we're right, again, right. we're not going to make a box set of this film, this cinematographer's work. Right, is never going to happen. Yeah, we have it, this material now. 
I guess I guess what really gets me is given given everything else that's on this DVD that's so loosely related. I'm just kind of surprised that there weren't also just a couple of Nick Cave music videos. Yeah, for me, no reason. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, see what you're like, saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe there are, and they're just not on the Criterion Channel. <laughs> yeah, it's possible, right? Like, or even that, like, or they've got that plan that's coming up in the future. Right, right. That'll be on the the Blu-ray release. We'll have the entire Nick Cage catalog on it as well. Yeah, it it was. Uh, Um, yeah, it was really like the 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 extra features were were were. I I kind of flipped through them really quickly, but I was like, well, after I got done with the actual documentary, like, or the other sort of making of retro retrospective thingy, I kind of was like, well, I mean. These don't seem like they're going to necessarily add to my understanding of the film per se. I don't. Um, I don't think they necessarily did. Uh, it is interesting to hear from Alekin because he is someone who had an right. illustrious career. Yeah. It is interesting to see the Kurt Boys documentary stuff because it is made by other people who were in this movie, and he had an interesting career. Right. Uh, and yeah. Uh, other than that, the. Uh, there's excerpts from a French television program, Cinema Cinema, that is mostly just a day on the set. Uh, yeah, we've, I think we've seen stuff we've clips from, from Cinema, 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 Cinema before. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, yeah, usually I, just this like I right, I don't I, I, know I what that TV like, show was like, but like it feels like I it was feel just like, like here's what's going on in film these days. Right, right. I think the the last time we maybe talked about a Cinema Cinema thing, I think was on Jen Delman. Uh, yeah, where, I think they had a little again, bit longer. Was, thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was longer, but it was very similar in feel, where it was just the people for the television show set up a camera to record what was going on on set the day they visited. Yeah, and there's not really a lot of insight. Um, I think I feel like there was there was one on uh, that last uh, Polanski film we watched too. That yeah, I don't know if it was Cinema Cinema or not, but yeah. yeah, like we we a fair number of movies have those. Right, right. It feels it feels like just a thing French television did generationally, <laughs> maybe too. Yeah, just, there's always got to be at least one show that's doing this sort of thing in France. Right. But uh, but yeah, it's it never feels worthwhile to me to have watched it. No, it, uh, I only I usually end up I only end up watching them when there's like very few extra features. And I'm like, well, right. this is only five minutes long or it's, whatever. This is only ten minutes long. I'll watch some people. It, on is, set. it is interesting to see some people's processes, right? Uh, and it was interesting, certainly, to see the process in Delman. Um, I was less interested in the Polanski Polanski process. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Just because I'd seen too much from him for right. Night of the Water to begin with already, right? And, uh, and Jean Delman was a really unique film, so you like right, kind right, of we right. gobbled up everything that they had to yes. offer in terms of like extra information. <laughs> also true. Also like, true. Wings of Desire is a unique film, but it's not unique from the perspective of its production. Per se. I right, mean, I guess right, the right. the not having a script is kind of unique. It is, but well, like there is. There is interesting stuff production wise, right? But I think right. We what get I mean, all of that, that like I, I, we basically get all of that in the first documentary, right? And, and then and I, like yeah. in a lot of detail because they're they're being right. very candid about how they went through it. Right. What I'm saying is more that like how do I describe what I'm trying to say? Like Wings of Desire is not is is very artistic, very it is a very unique film. In fact, I don't it's it is very unique. Yeah, but it is not. It's not unique in the same way that John Delman is unique. <laughs> right, I mean, right. I, I, like, it's really hard to like explain how those are different, but they 
Like they are. anybody <laughs> with eyeballs can see that. It's right, just it's very right. very clear that these are unique in very different ways. Yes. And the yes. Jean Delman sort of uniqueness is something that can be captured by a documentary crew showing up and just watching them make the movie. Right. Whereas right. to a certain extent Wings of Desire comes out mostly I think in its final product not in probably the actual production which probably looked like a normal movie being made. Yeah. Yeah, this, and you know. generally did, except that, you know, it's in a a still falling apart Berlin, right? Right, um, well, exactly, and, and and it has a lot of, I mean, but, like, that, that was all movies made in, the, in right, right, for right, a certain right. window of time in Berlin were like <laughs> right. that. Right. Um, you, you know, you combine the wall still being there and all that stuff, it, it's, it's, I mean, it, 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 it is, it is fascinating to me that, how we've encountered this before, but how certain movies that are not particularly designed to do to be focused on this end up being a really, really good record of what a place looks like in a certain time. Yeah, movies yeah. about and New I, York are sometimes this way. Yeah, uh, and we've encountered it before, but like, like this movie just beyond being really interesting to watch, you really get a a feel for certain areas of like mid to late 80s Berlin. Yes. It's just you just do. Just, you like you feel like just you've before been there the wall now, came down. Like, wow. And yeah. Like, yeah. And and Wenders definitely meant this as a love letter to right. a city yes, he loved, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh to the point where I think some of the things that the movie has to say about the German people uh are really more true of all people. But, right, yeah. but Wenders is yeah, sort of I mean that's the way people. A little yeah, more. these sort of things are <laughs> right. working out. Yeah, there was one bit I really, really loved uh, talking about. I think it's, I think it's really even more true today about uh, every individual having a border now. Yeah, and that to to get beyond the border, you need a certain set of passwords. Right. Yeah. Uh, and fortunately, there's no one person who knows all the passwords anymore is the last line delivered of that monologue right before we step onto the movie set of Peter Falk's uh Right. Well, yeah, he World says War like II nobody knows those passwords and we see a bunch anymore. of Nazis. Right. And then I think he he does also say I think right after that right as he's pulling right, in like, right. there is a So everybody has to conduct essentially excursions across <laughs> other right. people's borders that are not right, like Right. 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 You know, yeah, yeah it's, and yes, it, it is definitely a reflection on what 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 not like a kind of way of understanding Nazism, right? Yeah. So Yeah. Right. Are there still borders more than ever? Every street has its own border. Between the lots is a strip of no man's land disguised by a hedge or a ditch. Would-be visitors encounter barricades or hit by laser beams. The trout in the water are really electric eels. Uh, it was really... It's my favorite lines of the movie are that right. monologue. Um, Peter Hanke uh, apparently was just writing monologues and sending them to set each day which is amazing like yeah. it, it it is really fascinating to think of this you can understand this movie as a series of <laughs> monologues strung together right like right. there's very right. little actual conversation in this movie Damiel yeah. and Cassiel are the only two people who engage hardly in anything they and and then Damiel and and um and Peter Falk. Marion and, and Peter Falk, well, yes, of course. She, there's well, not a lot of talking yeah. between Damiel and Marion right. at all. Right. Because of the way because of the way the end is actually cut. Yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of talking between the two of them. Uh but yeah. Yeah. Obviously Falk and he have conversations. Falk and uh a limited number of other people have conversations. The the right. bit with the hat is obviously very good. The the uh young 
teenager who's trying to get him to read this book about how Hitler had a secret double that Goebbels replaced <laughs> right, him with. Yeah. Uh, is very and and folks just folks just not interested at all. It's very good, uh, but but yeah, yeah. It is. I would almost like to have watched this without the inner monologues for a little bit, just to see how if it felt as human as it does. Yeah, just I, I, yeah I see what you're saying. Yeah. And actions. Uh, I I think I think everything that we described I, in my mind I can't imagine this. Every time you take out one of those elements, it just steps right. further into Bergman film for me. That's it just fair. becomes That's more fair. and more Bergman film, which right. there's nothing wrong with. It's just very. What I think, which I I do want to loop back to another point in a second, but what yeah. I think is really interesting is is he Wim Wenders talks about how much this movie seems to have impacted people. Yeah, and I think. And I agree. Like I watched it; it was very impactful. Like right. you watch, like I. This is I love. I really, really like this movie. I love this movie. Um, but I think the addition of the inner monologues and Peter Falk are what make it that way. Yeah, because I agree. It without them, the movie becomes largely inaccessible. And by becoming largely right. inaccessible, it doesn't make it a <laughs> less. I don't think it makes it like a worse movie. Necessarily, I mean, it might actually. But like, what I mean is like. In my mind, it makes it more Bergman-esque or more of those kinds of directors, and which doesn't make it bad, but makes it s- suddenly much less approachable, right? Right. You're, like, you're, no, the audience has less to sort of hang their hat on and be like, okay, like I know where I am, what's going on. I understand the, the world. Whereas, um, yeah, that, that, that no monologue, no Peter Falk version, you, you would kind of feel like you're out to sea. Which isn't necessarily right. a bad feeling, but is can be very alienating for an audience. Yeah, yeah almost. You know, even more than Bergman, uh, the Bergman plus one that is drier, right? Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Yeah. The other option would be drier. It would be. It would <laughs> yeah. be. It's one of. It's somewhere in that category of like. Right. I'm going to it, it, where it's sort of a, a meditation on a thing and expects the audience to engage in that meditation alongside them. Right. Um, and, and and doesn't give them a lot of you kind of had to start your start your own meditation of your own accord <laughs> right, based right. on very little information yeah yeah right there is you know just so much poignancy in the way the angels interact with the people they interact with right right that uh certainly hearing hearing inner thoughts adds to yes uh but there are there are occasions where I don't necessarily think that it wouldn't have worked without it. No, and yeah, I think no, I think I, the bike the bicyclist who's hit I think could have worked without the inner thoughts. Yeah, uh, uh, Cassiel's failed saving of the of the suicider. Uh, I'm not sure about that one because even so? with the inner monologue, I would say that Cassiel's saving of the guy has. Is very is very ominous. When you hear that, lay, when you watch the documentary, mm-hmm. where and they talk about how Cassiel is being played by the actor, with the knowledge that the actor believes that the character is going to become a bad guy at the end, yeah, is going to. There is a certain sort of ominousness that That's even fair. before I watched the documentary, read in that performance, that makes it seem like he is he trying to help this person. 
is right. he trying to save this person? Because it's worth noting that if you watch, I did rewind this. If you watch it, his hand is outstretched in a way that could be read as, oh no, or I just pushed you. Yeah. And also, and I noticed this first watch, uh, when we first get to that character, they are on sort of a sub wall on the roof. Yes. And we think he's jumped off. And yes. Cassiel does push him there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it uh, is, and I think that's. A, I think there's choices being made there. Right. That that yeah. dire- that that actor, and and no one seems to disagree with this as an idea. <laughs> like Win Winders right. doesn't disagree with the idea that that this is where it was going. They just ran out of money and time. Right. But like the idea that he would be the sort of opposing force of this, like every fallen angel is not is not necessarily. To sort of highlight the dynamism right, right, in right. human existence, right? Like, isn't necessarily going to get in there and just be right. a good, a good person. Right. They're not all, not all going to be Peter Falk or, or Damiel. Yeah, right? and 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 so, but what you what you do get, which I think is really good, as a result of that, is that 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 actor is playing that as with that knowledge in mind, which adds a certain sort of darkness to his angel performance. Right, and right, I think right. that that's that that um, that sort of on that roof, that scene on that roof really highlights it. It really right. comes through, and yeah, I, I that's and, that's fair. And I think I think without without the inner monologue, I would definitely have read it as him being pushed. Yeah, and and the reality of the matter is, I think honestly, the inner monologues even more than Peter Falk end up being necessary because you're one. With all kinds of religious things like this, that are like you're one step away from a horror movie at all yeah. times. The, those angels without any inner monologue could be really also very ominous and dark and scary. Yeah, especially with the movie being shot in black and white, and sort of they're always hanging around, peering over people's shoulders. Well, they're they are they are voyeuristic. Period. Right. right, and that is right. that is ominous if we don't know that they are somehow know they're good. Right, <laughs> right, so. right. If you don't know that they're angels, you could very easily read them as demons or devils or something like that. They wear black coats. They are they right. they have a certain sort of ominousness to them in their character in their sort of design. So what I'm saying is like without the inner monologues, I really think, oh boy, like you could read this movie in a really That's like fair. scary That's way. Fair. That's fair. Um, there, there are other scenes where I think the inner monologue adds a adds a sort of poignant human and uh, humanism to the scenes that would have been comedic without them. Like the car scenes would feel very much, uh, very much like a comedy of of voyeurism of looking at the drivers doing. Like there was that one, uh, that one M. Hulot film that we watched where where he's going to the car show. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. Uh, and you know, we see a woman applying makeup and 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 different things happening in the cars, and and it was kind of reminiscent of the, obviously not as over the top as that, right, but, right. But we do get scenes of you know someone telling a joke and a couple having a fight, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think also to a to a point of them being needed, uh, the scene in the ambulance would have been much less poignant without both the wife's inner thoughts yes, of yeah. hoping hoping that I can't wait to meet you is is right. her thought and the husband saying or the father saying uh I wish I could put myself in my wife's place to to save her pain right now right, right? 
Yeah. Uh, and and a scene of just the two of them and Damiel there touching the stomach and and moving on wouldn't wouldn't have had the same effect. It still no, would have yeah, been I agree. effective. But. Yeah, the 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 yeah. In in the end, I think the the inner monologue. It, it's you can tell like that like they figured they they watched it and they figured out pretty quickly like oh <laughs> right, yeah we right. need we need, we need something that. here. This is this doesn't something this doesn't read. It just doesn't. It, it, yeah, it, you're missing a lot. You got a lot of like meditations on individual actors in the movie doing kind of menial everyday things, which like are fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but they don't. They carry a little less weight when you don't know what they're thinking, and and right. you, you know, you see a lot of people. It, it it crosses a border into like a deep level of art house that I think would have just kind of made the movie, in the end, on a totally unapproachable, right? Like, right. like when I think about movies that just have long meditative shots on different people's faces as they do things, with no with no dialogue or anything like that. You 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 mentally start building this model of a of a movie that frankly just doesn't exist, right? But but like is the image people have of bad art house film of like it's either too much talking or no talking at all, and and yeah, I I it really it actually elevates the movie in a really sort of important way, and also right. somehow that the inner dialogue beyond just like clearing up things like the, the rooftop scene and some of that. Also, somehow highlights the fact that that they are uh, doesn't make it clear that they're angels, but it it highlights the fact that like somehow it highlights the fact that they're invisible and not just like I, I don't know Easily how to explain ignored, it. I guess yeah, yes. or or like I don't know somehow like like somehow the the that you as an audience we recognize this as inner dialogue extremely quickly. Right, right. We don't have to be told that's what it is. It just becomes the mouths are not moving. We're hearing them, and every time it happens, there is there is a there is one of these people around. Right. Somehow, like mentally, as audience members, we make that connection really, really quickly, and really intuitively, and it works. Yeah, and I don't know why that is, but like I feel like if you if you sucked that dialogue out, we would not make that intuitive leap. And and, and and it's incredibly. I don't know why that is, but I feel like, I, yeah. and I can't prove it. I but have, I bet if you went and cut out all that monologue out and watched the cut yeah. of it, you'd be like, "I have what the fuck is happening here?" I have to assume at least. I have to assume at least some of it existed because I'm 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 certain that Homer's uh, everything Homer says had to have been in the original cut, right? That uh, that had because I mean, that was all planned, he, right? I, I guess that's so. why they brought him in to be this teller of stories well right? see but like, i wonder so. yeah see I, it's all very because that documentary really leaves you in a weird place where you're like every because again it's 10 years later everybody's sort of telling right. their version of it because hanke like seems like he wrote most of those monologues right that when winders was reading out loud and then was disappointed that none of them were in the film <laughs> <laughs> when he came to watch, he's like, "Why?" Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when they interview him, he offhandedly right, talks right, about right, like right, right, none of what right. I wrote was in the That's movie. That's fair. That's fair. And like being kind know. of not, you know, he's very jovial about it because obviously right. he's happy with the final result. But he's right. there's just this tinge of like, like what the hell, man? <laughs> like yeah. I wrote like hundreds of monologues for you, and none of them are in the movie. <laughs> yeah, the movie is visually amazing. 
Yeah. Uh, the black and white is done so well, and obviously they have someone who's, who's very old hat. <laughs> and, uh, Alekin's been, been right. shooting, pointing yeah. black and white for, like, for, for really 50, 50 yeah. 60 years by this point. Well, yeah. And apparently had his own his own gaffers, his own lighters <laughs> with him, too. Well, right? yeah, it so. really, it's, it is a real, it's a, it is a striking type of black and white. Right. I, I really, constantly while I was watching, it was kind of wrestling with how, if I know of any other good, like, it's familiar, but I couldn't put yeah. my finger on, like, what we've watched that feels this way. The black and I, white has a really specific character to it. I think uh, I think I think you're probably mentally thinking about the Ophel stuff. It, mu- it must be. I can't. Uh, I can't. Yeah. There's maybe some other stuff. Uh, you know, the other the other movie I know that we've seen shot by uh, Alakin was long enough ago that I don't think we you're you're not mentally referencing Beauty and the Beast when you think no about no this, I remember right? Beauty and the Beast but Beauty and the Beast was also so long ago that the quality of film stock is just pretty radically different right 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 like right. it it has that that Beauty and the Beast had that sort of like vaseline on the lens quality to it a lot of times and if memory yeah. serves it had a sort of certain fuzziness to it obviously on purpose but right. like this th- there's a i don't know how to describe it like i and maybe i'm thinking of it maybe I, I don't know but like it i really spent the entire time just see you there would just be these scenes and you're like this is this is beautiful but also really like striking just in a and it isn't just contrast or anything like that there's a, just a way I think it has to do with the way he's doing the lighting and everything. There's, I, I, I'm going to walk away with this still not knowing how to explain it. Right. But right. like, it's, there's something very special about the way this is and, shot. And of course, the, the very first instance of color we get in the film is just so striking. Oh, yeah. The color is so yeah. it's wild. Yeah. Where, where we just get a flash of a different perspective of Marion on the trapeze that first second is just yeah it's well bewildering and so wonderful the one that got me and and i think i might remember this this might be one of those scenes that i remember it's the fucking laundromat oh yes 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 when the laundromat pops into color yeah i forgot about that one actually it is it, yeah. i don't know why it's the I most that's mundane earlier, isn't it? thing on earth what yeah I think that's earlier. That's before we meet Marion. Uh, no, I think, I think that's after. I, I could be after. wrong. Um, because and and they and the color pops are telling you something too. They they're right. actually conveying a message in of themselves. But like that one, for some reason, that one just got me. The other ones are very good. Don't get me yeah. wrong. But that one, because you your mind can't possibly predict that those washing machines are going to be orange. <laughs> right, right, right. A right, bright, right. like eye assaulting orange. And when yeah. it happens, it's, I don't know, it's a holy shit moment. I don't know why, because it's hyper mundane. It doesn't, it, it, we're just following that, we're just watching this woman who is doing laundry for a little bit. And we hear a little bit of her inner monologue, and then it does that. Um, right. But yeah, it, 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 it fucking like shocked me. I was like really right. taken aback right. 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 in a really good way. Uh and yeah, I don't know the, the the color scenes and the way they convey that we're not in angel world anymore, but we're in right. the human world is so fascinating. And then later on, having Damiel acknowledge that by kind of talking about color, and right. the fact when that first... it seems like the the angels don't even understand, like 
color yeah. is a human thing and not an angel thing is really yeah, when fascinating. He, when he first becomes human and he has to has to ask <laughs> the guy on the street, well, what color is this? Well, yeah, this this blood on my hand that's red, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, which is really fascinating, right? Because what it what it, it tells you more than just sort of like creating the, the the dynamic between the two, but the idea that like what Peter Falk was talking about earlier and what Damiel expected was true in the sense that like color, but all sensation are things that like the right. the angels only understand sort of on an academic level, right? Right. Like, he knows abstract. these words. Yeah. He knows that they mean something to humans, but he doesn't understand what they mean to humans, right? And it's really, I don't know, it's very good. It's just really, really good. Yeah, it would it would be interesting if the film got even more esoteric about it and, and that the angels couldn't even see art, period. Like, or Oh, yeah, I mean, they really could have, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, and you kind of, you can almost kind of interpret that anyway because just the, not, not that, like, it's explicit, but, like, they are exclusively categorizing the thoughts and actions of human beings. Right, right. They're not they're not really engaged with what the, what those things mean. They're sort of like they're kind of like they've got this sort of role as like court stenographers. They're just like recording the events without any sort of not their removal is not just because of like they're not removed from events because they can't interact with them, but because they literally can't understand what right. they're recording it's like right. they've just been given a job to do which is go and like record as much as you can it's a very right. i don't know it's a very interesting picture that this movie paints yes i agree i agree uh i was amazed to learn that uh uh the actress playing marion uh learned how to do trapeze <laughs> oh yeah just just for it uh Salvig de martin is her name and she she was wender's partner at the time and uh and she wanted the role and she learned how to do trapeze and <laughs> did trapeze without a net on camera um, which is wild that is just yeah. okay yeah so good honor um but yeah uh she's She's very, she's, she's phenomenal in the movie too. Everybody's this movie is so perfectly cast and so so very wonderful. Uh, but yeah, just she's very striking. Obviously, when she first shows up and we get that pop of color with her. Uh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, you know. the first time it happens, it is it is really startling. With her is is really startling as well. I don't know. It's just. It it caught me off guard, but I don't nothing 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 catches me off guard the way that that, that laundromat <laughs> right, did for right, some reason. Right, right, right. It just fucking. But yeah, like no, her her first appearance in colors is really is very shocking as well. And, yeah. And and I think what's I guess what also makes it different is the fact that the first time it happens, it takes you a little while to understand what the color pops mean right right like right. when you first see her and it happens, it's not clear as an audience member. What's there is different a, now? Yeah, there is a perspective change when right. it happens. We're yeah, seeing yeah, her from yeah. below it, instead of from above, right? Right. right. So, For sure. So it there's just, that. It takes but, a little while. You need a couple. You need a few of them right, before you're right. like, oh, okay, I one, get what's happening here. One doesn't know. establish a pattern, right? Right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's wow. Uh, and another, you know, the the moment he decides to become human, and the fact that they're in the no man's land between. You know, around the wall is yeah. is interesting when that happens. 
uh, one that they could even like film there is interesting. Well, period. it's but, it is the uh, uh, well, I mean, it's the it is not the it's not the no man's land between. It is the uh, right, right. It's, it's the on, edge, right, and the right. and the West German side was not particularly well <laughs> right. policed or regulated in no any one, meaningful. No way. one's really nobody uh, really cares on that there side. There weren't a lot. I'm not saying it it didn't happen. And I'm, I'm well, actually yeah, there were not a lot of people trying happen, to go the other direction. But, the, yes. but there weren't a lot of people trying to jump from the west to the east. And the way well, and if they yeah. wanted to, that was not particularly hard to do. You didn't have to jump over walls to do right, it. Right, 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 right. They you would didn't really for the most part. We just could just do it, as far as I can tell. Everything I've ever, every time we've heard that story happen, which we have in movies that we have watched, or like in the extra material around the movies we watch, it's like. They decided to go there, and they went there. <laughs> right, right. It seems like that border was porous in a specific direction. Yes, so. the way it bounces back and forth from color and black and white there, depending, you know, and and Cassiel picking him up and carrying him, and then apparently just throwing his armor after him <laughs> for the yeah, I know, <laughs> yeah, like it was really like well, it like, seems fall, like at the time Cassiel is is yeah. very it. It gives Casiel a very sort of negative judgmental vibe about what he's done. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then, you know, in that regard, I think it it would have been interesting if they had enough time to explore Casiel than becoming human. Yes, yeah. But, Uh, you know, and I don't disagree with the choice and all that. It makes a lot of sense. But I honestly think in the end what we got was the best version of that, which is we get this vibe from Casiel, but we don't explicitly explore it it just gives his character a certain sort of feeling that i think plays really well uh, and i like in the end it gives his character an extra level of ominousness that the other um the other angels don't have on them as we kind of progress through the story and i and i like that it makes him feel a little scary but not like really scary and then it doesn't get adding the end part might have recontextualized it in a way that makes it feel worse i don't know um i i think the the final result is is kind of perfect uh i don't think it right it, you know i i think that honestly even if they hadn't run out of budget and time like it would it may have muddied things up in the end um hard to say i mean although i the pie fight being integral to the story might have been would have been nice too, but right, <laughs> right. It would have just been just because, yeah, it, yeah. It, it would have been fun. Well, that would be a whole different thing, right? Like it, it, that would be a that would be a very if that's where it ended, and not we don't get Casiel, but we end in a pie fight between a now human Casiel and a <laughs> now human Damiel would really take the movie in a very different direction. Right, right. Because like the, as of right now, the end scene is extremely is very intense, right? Like it it ends on 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 an intenseness that is, yeah. You, like it, it reverberates after you turn the movie off. You're you're carrying right. that the, re, the and, between that and Homer. You're carrying that around for the rest of the right, day. Basically, right. Homer Homer's everything Homer does is is reverberating because obviously he's a he's an old man looking back on a country torn apart by war and right. and hoping and and crediting him as Homer is very interesting because of his hope to write an epic of peace instead of an epic of war. Right. You know, he's an he's an anti Homer, really, right? Right, because, right. Because the works of Homer have been used for millennia to talk about honor and justify yeah. going to war, right? Uh yeah. Uh but he wants he wants an anti war epic. Uh 
which obviously, as we've discussed, you can't make. Sorry, Homer, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, you could make it. You could make an epic epic for peace. You could make an epic of but peace. You, it just can't be an right. epic that an epic of peace couldn't have any war in it. Like it right, just right, right, there can't right. be any. I found the information on how Falk got involved with the movie. Okay, Claire Denise was a uh, assistant on the movie. Uh, she'd become a director in her own right. I don't think. Uh, Shock a lot came out. I think the year after this. Um, but she she suggested that Falk would work because Columbo was so popular and he would be familiar to everyone, no matter right. no matter where the movie was, right? right? No matter where they showed it, people would know who Peter Falk was. Um, yeah. Well, and they and they address that slightly a little. Like I think um, Peter Falk right, right, himself right. addresses that very right. gently Falk in talks the. In about the in, yeah, in the yeah, I'm kind of. Like, I'm kind of like, surp- I, I guess people really like like it's like, okay, a little bit of unnecessarily mod- yeah. <laughs> deep modesty there, but okay. Learning, learning, learning that Denis was was part of the production staff uh, surprises me that she wasn't in that that documentary. And like, why why not talk to her instead of the City of Angels guy, uh, or know. or just add her to the mix, keep him too. It's not like right. you have a set set limit. Uh, but yeah, uh, Nick Cave apparently was living in Berlin at the time, which is how that all worked out. Uh, yeah, that's not surprising. Yeah. yeah, I I do love his little inner monologue joke where where he's coming back for the encore. And he's like, now don't don't tell them about the girl, and then steps up the microphone and says, I want to tell you a story about a girl, and goes into the next <laughs> yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's very funny. Yeah, there's a lot of great moves, moments of humor, and it's not not just around. Uh, Falk being a, a right, no, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the the humor in the movie is oh, like it 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 has a a sort of like it it has a subtlety that makes it feel like r- kind of real world, and, and even though it's mostly ba- built around the the sort of juxtaposition between what people think and what people say, right? It has a because it's all so down to earth. It's all very. It, it, it's all because it's all people doing kind of normal people things all the time, and the sort of that the, the juxtaposition that we all can recognize in ourselves and what we think versus what we what right, we do. Right. It it has a it, it feels very familiar to like on a human level, right? Like the comedy doesn't feel like comedy as much as it feels like I, it's sort well, of a familiarity not, instead. Right, right. It's not. It's it's the humanness of making a joke of of the. The, right, right. The dichotomy yeah. between what you say and what you do sometimes. Right. And, it it just know. doesn't have the same it, it's not the same kind of humor that you would get in a movie that's explicitly a comedy that is right. like telling yeah. jokes. Like nobody's telling jokes. They feel they feel real and organic. They're not Right. If if I were to define something, I would call this the opposite of Sorkin-esque. <laughs> and it's in the way it deals with people's right. thoughts and action and, and way of talking. No, I mean it's just it has a sort of a very homey down to earth feeling despite being a very high minded concept in a lot of ways the way it's what it's actually talking about you never feel like you're watching it it, it keeps itself very grounded in in what in about humanity and the idea of what it right. what being a human means um, yeah in a way that's also not preachy in the way movies about 
humanness can be, right? Like right, about... right, right. Which is which is interesting too, because it's 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 certainly not preachy about its religious aspects, because it's it uh, has a very very vague uh, cosmology to begin with, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but it's also not preachy preachy about its humanness either, uh, because human humanness here is just the experience of right exactly experiencing really is right. what it is. Uh, yeah. Uh, obviously the film ends with the title card dedicating this to, uh, to all the former angels, uh, Yoshiro, uh, Francois and Andre. Um, right. And, and that, I thought that was really interesting too. Like, I don't, that, that kind of comes out of nowhere to a certain extent. Yeah. Well, I think, I think obviously there are influences on wonders in general and that's and right. All, yes. Yeah. All just died, uh, within a few years prior to the movie, I think. Um, or I suppose they probably No, all, I mean, like... Not like even, Ozu not died even close. In Ozu died, <laughs> Ozu died a pretty long time before. Yeah, I was, go, well, I was about to correct though, myself what's interesting, I think it has more to do with Wim Wenders as a person. Right, Because right. Wim Wenders had literally just... His mo- movie right before Wings of Desire was a documentary made with West Berlin <laughs> television or something about yeah. Ozu. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and so I wonder if, if it's more just like... Somehow, I think, Wim Wenders just needed to kind of get it out there that, like, you know what I mean? It, it's. I think that it it is not hard to think of Ozu of Truffaut and of Tarkovsky and see influence from them in this movie. No, yeah, no, uh, for sure, that's absolutely true. Without without very many stretches whatsoever, uh, I. <laughs> If I were to rank, I'd put Truffaut as the hardest to convincingly do. Yes, but. I would agree. I think Tarkovsky might be the easiest. Yeah, yeah. Just in, in, I don't know, like, if you told me, if you, stylistically, it's not the same, like, visually right, and stuff. Right, but, right, like, if right. you told me that, like, this was a Tarkovsky, like a, a, I think str- like a sort of a weird, like, detour in Tarkovsky's career. There's ideological that. things with Tarkovsky, definitely. I feel like, and I and I don't mean theological. I just mean the sort of way of telling a story, right? Exactly. Sort of yeah, you could just t- right? yeah. It's like it wouldn't fit exactly in his oeuvre, but you you yeah. could definitely convince me. Well, he had this weird time. This one time he was working with this other person, and this is what came out. Right. Right. Like, right. Okay. Sure. And and Ozu, you know, you've got the the realness of the humanity in right. Here. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that 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 influence is 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 probably most clearly felt in the way that we talk, way the the interactions and like the the right. monologues and stuff, right? They, they're right. That humanness that we were talking about is is probably most evident there. So um, so so perhaps Truffaut is is really in here if we want to make it explicit uh, in the unrealistic love story, baby. Of, uh, of, yeah, I mean, of two yeah. people who don't really know each other falling madly in love. Uh, maybe that's where, right, yeah, where that, Truffaut really shows up. May, in this maybe movie. that that ending, right? Like, yeah. but honestly, or the, the pie fight ending would have been much more Truffaut. Uh, <laughs> that's think, true. Yeah. Weirdly enough, the intensity of that very like, that last scene between uh, Namiel and Marion reminds me yeah. most, like most poignant, like most specifically. And it's the timings all wrong because this is much much later. But of like uh, like Wong Kar Wai's like 
Oh, yeah, shooting, yeah, yeah. Like, way of shooting, like, oh, yeah. intimate interactions between characters. Wong Kar Wai makes all those movies much, much later. Like, yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, but, like, I'd, it's still, you can feel it. I, I, I would say this is almost certainly a, an influence yeah. on him. I would have uh, to think so. Yeah. Because, like, that, that, that intensity, like, if you imagine that that intensity were extrapolated out over the entire course of an entire movie, you're now you're in, like, Wong Kar Wai territory. Right, like if you just had, if you had like, oh, my movie doesn't have one of those scenes. My movie has ten of those scenes or fifteen of those scenes. Now you're in Wong Kar Wai territory, but like, I don't know. It's uh, I guess. it, it Wiki- has to be an influence. Yeah, Wikipedia cites uh, some film scholars arguing uh, what uh, what Wenders might have meant with these thanks, and they uh, they writing on on Wenders says Ozu taught Wenders order. Truffaut taught uh, the observation of people, especially youth, and Tarkovsky a less clear influence on Wender's consideration of morality and beauty. And mor- the morality and beauty is certainly what I'm talking about when I talk about the ideological. Right. But I, I, I think but that, that, way, it, I don't think that is per- less clear. I think that's No, very, I don't think so. Right, I think it's actually, right. for me, it's the most clear. <laughs> the clearest, right. Yeah. Because I would also <laughs> argue that the pacing and the sort of the way the movie moves through a story through its story feels very Tarkovsky S2 right. as well. Like it just, yeah. like it has that stillness that Tarkovsky movies have. Yeah. And, and I mean, obviously there is, there is an aspect of the, uh, the location for Peter Falk's movie within the movie that feels like a Tarkovsky location. It, it yeah. could have been. Yes. In, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but also uh, so does a lot of West Berlin at the time. Right, honestly, right, right, right. There's still, an, it's still a, disjointed and messed yeah. up enough that it feels like and, that and i don't know i think there's there's a certain aspect to some of some of the scenes that uh just the relationship to space feels a little ozu to me uh yeah uh, i can see that i well his camera has a very uh, is very i'm trying to remember now if i reflect back i'd have to rewatch it but he uh, he seems to be using a very a fairly stagnant camera um at times static, not stagnant. Not, but no, I, that's what I meant. But yes, you know, well, yes. stagnant works sort of. But yes, <laughs> yes, I meant it, static. In a in a poetic use of the word stagnant, I'll allow it. But uh, <laughs> but yes, <laughs> they, they, thanks, Judge Adam. Uh, but yeah, like uh, rule the judge rules that it's allowed. No, but like yeah. it, the camera doesn't. Um, it does move. It do, it moves far more than it knows. Yeah, the and camera there are does. times. It, yeah, but it's it lingers on things. Right. In a kind of way that that is could be considered reminiscent reminiscent right, of right. Ozu, but also in some ways could be reminiscent of what Tarkovsky does as well too. Right, right. Tarkovsky right. also I, has a lot of times where he just shows you a place for a while with people moving around right. in it. And I gotta say, without without those thanks at the end, we would not have be being have a conversation about what influence on this movie that mentioned ozu or Truffaut. no maybe, no, maybe no. we would have gotten to Tarkovsky. we might have we might have gotten to Tarkovsky. but but yeah. he, what i will say is that like i would i don't know that i would have thought about it yeah with it there it becomes you can see it um, right right more just because i don't i have a weird habit of not thinking of Tarkovsky very often i don't know why but like Tarkovsky oh, sort I, of slips my mind all the time i think about Tarkovsky a lot uh, i know but... and i i feel like i should like I yeah. can very vividly vividly remember Tarkovsky scenes in my head when I think about Tarkovsky, but he doesn't 
pop up in my head a lot otherwise. I don't know. It's very strange. I get it. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I think the those sort of dedications at the end just do something. They're just sort of a they're kind of like a magic wand that he waves right. over at the end of the movie to like make his audience especially since he's making a the movie is is very is still very is very arty. Like yeah. artsy. Like it kind of like it's almost like publishing your like footnotes at the like you know you've got your bibliography at the bottom of the, of the, at the end of the book or whatever you know it's like you know right right and whenever this is what i was thinking about whenever a film explicitly thanks another director you have to think about why it exists there right right and i really you know i think between the timing of their deaths and the fact that they just done that ozu it makes sense that it just are people he was influenced by and he wants to thank them, not they were necessarily influences on this movie particularly. But because it's there, we're going to think about it. We're going to think about about it. it And then, and then with a little bit of, I mean, as you pointed out, like the Truffaut does feel kind of like an outlier a little bit, but I guess if you're a very specific kind of like viewer of Truffaut films, you could maybe read the, the, yeah, the human observation, but yeah. I mean, I think, I think there are scenes in 400 Blows where the black yes, and white I mean, is as is as stunning as as this absolutely. black and white. I mean, certainly not not to malign Truffaut or anything like that. Yeah. For like, there, there's reasons why you would do that. I just I'm right, saying right, that right. like I I don't always think of Truffaut for. I wish I could always think of Truffaut for 400 Blows and not yeah. other movies. Right. Right. Does that right. make sense? That's, if that's, if my mind were pure. And smooth, and all I knew of Truffaut was four hundred blows. My view of Truffaut would be very different. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. Yes, Truffaut. Truffaut lost us pretty quick with his with his post four hundred blows. Work. Yes, that and that's true. And that's a and that's a problem for us that maybe other <laughs> right, people right, who right. who think about Truffaut don't go through. Right, right. Because then we had we were kind of forced to watch a lot of Truffaut films <laughs> that I find mediocre at best. Yes. And I agree. I've been going. We've been doing this a long time, and I've been going through it in my head a lot and like every so often we get into a run of movies where I'm like oh like Criterion Collection has showed me everything of value that it has to show like yeah and like not that like there's not good movies otherwise but that like they've run out of sometimes it feels like they've run out of ideas that like they had that first 600 that were like all the movies they thought were really really important plus Armageddon yeah. for some reason <laughs> um, but, but you know what I mean like the first that there's that early block where it's just like it's not necessarily. I don't like all of them. Yeah, but they were they weren't, they weren't like, things that necessarily connected with us, but they were th- they were bangers, right? Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. That's where I was going to go with it too. Yeah. Is that like, it's like somebody when they thought of the Criterion Collection wrote out a list, and the first three hundred especially were like on this list they cooked up, and yeah. then after that, like they still had some. They had like, well, there's still plenty of really good movies. We get we we're we're good to go, and then at some point we cross the threshold where we're starting to get into like, oh. We're making this shit up as we go now, <laughs> right? Right. Um, right. and and we get hit runs of like only okay movies or movies that we kind of like. You're like kind of go to your head like why why am I watching this like this is right like we watched that Hamilton woman and I, I, still am like, huh? Yeah, yeah. We had like, that. What? We we had an H block recently that we're all <laughs> homicide that Hamilton woman and Howard's end. All we we're all you know. We had a a spirited conversation about Howard's End that I liked, right? But 
but well, it was good other- for us as as yeah. as podcasters, but not necessarily <laughs> right, like right. it. And then every so often, something like this shows up. Right, right, right. And you're like, and then it's like, oh, like, of course you're not out of good movies. Yeah. You're just making bad choices sometimes. Right. <laughs> and it's interesting it's interesting in in sort of the block we're in is that we've had some real, real highlights. Oh, yes, absolutely. In just the last uh, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty movies. You know, we've had that I mean we wa- we just talked about uh Jean Denis, I can't say the name right. of that movie. I Jean Delman. My, yeah, Jean Del- Delman. Jean Delman. We had we had Monsoon Wedding. Uh, that yeah. whole block of episodes those last few weeks. That was phenomenal stuff. Jean Delman wasn't that far away. Way. Uh, yeah, just I think it's the fact that there are things right. like that Hamilton woman based yeah. in where you're just like, what the fuck is happening here? Why are we yeah. doing this? This is last like, year at Marybud, My dinner weird. with Andre and the Human Condition was a really great run. Oh yeah, no, yeah, uh, absolutely. And then we had two Goddard films that we could care less about because they were Goddard in transition and we right. like him after and think, transition. And I right? think what it's done is it's created a weird <laughs> mental bias for me where I'm like, I only remember the sort of like Right. I don't not I don't only remember the low points because I remember those movies we're talking about really right. well. Like some of them right. are like right. burned into my mind now. Yeah. Um But there but have like, there have been some real, real lows recently. Yeah, there's been we some had, stinkers in there. We too. had repulsion. We had the curious yeah. case of Benjamin Button, which is Yeah, like they're like, what are we yeah. doing? Like right. you're watching Benjamin Button. I'm watching Benjamin Button and it's not a bonus one. And I'm like, <laughs> Right. What right. is what is going on here? Why am I watching this? This yeah. is this is terrible. Yeah. Um apparently people thought Benjamin Button was good because <laughs> it's one of those kind of movies, right? Where like yeah, but at, as at the we, very moment of zeitgeist when it comes into existence, it gets a bunch of like, this movie's great, and then like within a year, it's completely it's it's will, classic Academy Award movie, right? I will remind you, as stated during the Benjamin Button episode, that it is a Criterion release because Paramount bought right license yes, yes, the I Criterion yeah, yeah, yeah. name for their right. DVD for yeah, their internal about, DVD release of this. <laughs> So I forgot about yeah. that. But then you give then anyway. give it a spine number. What are they smoking? Right, 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 right. Uh, yeah. But yeah. whatever. It in the end, like the result is like but then like you know, this one really was very impactful for me. Like the, yeah. the a, a lot of those other ones we talked about I really loved and I and they were impactful too, but I just was shocked that this movie was as impactful as it was. It yeah. really caught me off guard. Well, I, I guess gotta... partially maybe the other ones I had primed my mental pump for them and was like prepared for them to be kind yeah. of awesome and then I, this one i wasn't necessarily ready i do feel like coming forward we we should expect great things uh, i know we should well, yeah. especially since they're sort of diversifying their collection and not just showing the same well, three directors over and over and over again yeah. forever yeah uh, but uh but up in the run-up to number 500 which is a box set of rossellini war films uh then we get Paris, Texas at 501, our next Wenders film. And yeah. we've got Soderbergh's Che in there. We've got uh, Costa Gavras's Z next week. We've got some... I, I am excited. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I guess I got I got mentally in a low spot because of some of the movies we named. And, it's and, and you know, we hit runs occasionally where you're just like... I, I yeah. it's, been, it's been a way we do it once a week and stuff like that. It's like where you're like, oh, man, it's been a month since I've watched a good movie I liked. <laughs> Right, like, right, 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 right. I'm, I'm, I'm. I've created an environment where I obligatorily watch these movies, yeah. and then I've hit a month of like, kind of groaning every time I have to sit down to watch one, which is not what this, 
I want this to feel like, right? <laughs> like you want to like sit down and be like, this is amazing. This is revelatory. And ones like this are, right? Right. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. No, this is a fantastic movie. I am so happy to have watched it. Uh, as I said, this is this was our first Wenders, so we're we're really far far into the collection for our first Wenders. But obviously, we'll we'll still be getting new directors. Uh, it's just uh, a a new European white man is <laughs> is right. is something too. Um, but yeah. Uh, next week we'll be talking about Costa Gavras's Z. We really loved the last Costa Gavras film we watched. I just don't know um, anything about this one, so is this is a mystery to me, and I'm not really inclined to read the Wikipedia synopsis because I kind of don't want it to be ruined. I think you probably shouldn't. I will tell you generally, it is about, uh, it is uh, similarly a political thriller. Um, okay, about uh, real life events. Um, Which so. I mean, last time was a was a winning combination. There right, was a, right, right. I mean, right. very sad and upsetting one, but. <laughs> Yes, but missing, nonetheless, missing was a phenomenal movie, and I expect Z to be as well. But this week we've been talking about Wings of Desire by Win Wembers from 1987. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am as always Theodore Glass. With me as always, John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. In Criterion. I'm your co-host Adam Glass. You can find me on Twitter at the Adam Glass. My partner is John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and you can find him at J Patrick Dorgan. Check out more of the show at LostInCriterion.com, or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at Patreon.com/LostInCriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at JonathanHape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.